Welcome to the Blue Coats Brass Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Cresty, and today we're joined by Blue Coats Brass Caption Head Derek Gibson and Brass Guru Bob Higgins. How are you guys doing today? Great, thanks. Great, Bob, thanks. Awesome. So, Bob, we've gotten to know Derek in previous episode and everything. Can you tell us a little bit about your musical background and uh, a little bit of your drum corps experience? Yeah, well, I started in drum corps in 1984. I marched contra for the Santa Clara Vanguard. At that time, I was an engineering student. And when I got done with that experience, I threw all that away and started studying music. (laughs) Um, (laughs) In the early 90s, then, my teaching started with the Glassman Drum and Bugle Corps from Toledo, Ohio. And I was started out as just their berry tech and did a lot of low brass work there from the early 90s to mid 90s. And then I took a little break from drum corps. And um, but in 2006, I did my first stint with the Blue Coats. And I was uh, the tuba guy through all of that time. And by uh, 2012 from to 2015, I was assistant brass caption head at Santa Clara Vanguard and then came back to the Blue Coats in 2016. You know, with the, the things that you, you've done at, at Blue Coats, it seems like you've spent a, a lot of your teaching career there. And so when you came back in, in, in 2016, what brought you back? Well, honestly, it was a phone call from Doug Thrower in December of 2015 when he was introducing the trombones for that show. Yeah. And he knew that my specialty was trombone. And of course, we had had those previous six years together. And he and I always had a great relationship with stuff. And he just asked me to work on the trombones in 2016. So I just came in and, and did that. Awesome. Well, I know with with our time together, you know, I've learned a lot, especially in the world of intonation, which is what we're going to be digging into today. So we're going to be talking about the importance of intonation in the Blue Coats Brass Line and sort of our approach that that we take and how it's evolved. And, you know, we'll start by discussing uh, a little bit of what is more traditionally done at some of the other drum corps. And I, I know at least in, in my past experience and as well as my experience as a high school band director, and that's more in the world of just intonation or just intervals. So we're going to start talking a little bit about that. You know, that that's, you know, more along the lines of the main things that, that I would think about or talk with my students about is major thirds and minor thirds. And that was you know, the primary thing that I would talk about to try to get certain chords to ring or to not have waves in them. And then so, you know, we'll talk about, you know, with the the minor third, we'll raise it by 16 cents and the major third lowering it by 14 cents. And I think that's a lot of what other groups kind of focus on. And then as far as like, you know, the intervals of like perfect fourth and perfect fifth, it's more along the lines of just play the note in tune and don't let it go sharp or flat. You know, technically the perfect fifth would be like two cents sharp and the perfect fourth would be two cents flat. But most of the time it's just play the, the root and the fifth in tune and then do what you're supposed to do with, you know, the third, whether it's major or minor. And then sometimes you would worry about a seventh or, or some other things. Either of you have some other thoughts? So, I, you know, just intonation is derived from the harmonic series. So, and all of our brass instruments are based on the harmonic series. So we're taught that even the harmonic series is very important. We have to learn how to get around the harmonic series. We also learned that open partial, that the fifth partial is a flat partial. Well, and when you're tuning a major chord, it's supposed to be. 
right? So we teach our kids to get those notes up when they're playing melodies, but we, they really have to play them through the center when they're playing it in a major chord. So that's why the most of the focus is put on the major third throughout the just intonation. Because like you said, the perfect fourth and fifths are kind of close enough to what equal temperament would be or what you would see on a tuner. Right. But the major thirds, yes, have to be much lower. And it's built into the harmonic series that way. Derek, you got anything you want to add? You know, in general, you're right that when people talk about just intonation, most of the time they're talking about lowering the major thirds or raising the minor thirds. Yeah, I know. I know with my experience, you know, like I said, in, in some of the other groups that I've taught, we would just go through and we'd figure out where the thirds are, because that's usually where the most amount of change happens. And then the issue that arose that's going to kind of lead into the other half of our discussion is when, you know, say, for example, if for whatever reason you're going from like a B flat major chord where the D would need to be lowered you know, 14 cents into a G major or a G minor chord even, where now all of a sudden the D is the fifth and it has to be played in tune and or raised just ever so slightly. So the kids are playing the exact same note, having to completely change the the pitch of it by, you know, 15, 16 cents during the middle of a note, you know. And so sometimes I, I think that's what leads to some of the discussions we'll talk more about later. But I, I know that's where we often ran into issues with the students. And so we would we would have alternate fingerings and we would change fingerings, even though we're still playing the exact same note. Which I don't like as far as an artist having a common tone, especially if it's supposed to be a common tone that's kind of the lead or the melodic element change pitch. It sounds awkward to me. And what you just mentioned, the B flat major to the G minor, I was trying to think of the best and easiest example to talk about what we do at the Blue Coats. And what you just mentioned is exactly what we do in the boxer. And if we were to play the boxer the way most people do just intonation, because it starts out in B flat major and ends in G minor, we would actually play the B flat in a different place on the last chord than what we play at the beginning of the shout chorus, talking about the loud section of the boxer, which for me, I just prefer the B flat to stay exactly the same B flat as opposed to sounding like we're raising it the last on the last note. And there's another solution to that that we'll talk about more in detail, to where you still get the minor chord tempered and having the B flat in relation to the root and fifth, having that B flat still sound higher in relation to the other notes of the chord by actually lowering the root and fifth around it. But we'll get more into that later. Yeah, so all of the intervals, every single interval in an octave that, that we learned in Western music has a just equivalent okay now and it it's interesting how drum corps in the past have always just relied on basically changing the third and they don't even think about anything else so it's really not truly just intonation because the just scale exists all of the intervals whole steps half steps major six minor six all that seventh seconds they all have pure intervals and pure definitions so but what drum corps usually do is the bass line kind of moves in equal temperament and then they tune each chord above each bass. What we're trying to do differently is understand that every note in the scale 
is important and has to stay the same through a passage. That's the entire point. So that tonic B flat is golden. It never changes. You change the other notes in the key of B flat justly, and you go with them no matter where they end up. So in that G minor chord, yeah, the D is lower because it has to be in key of B flat. Well, guess what? The G is supposed to be lower too. And even if it's in the tubas, which it is in that example, the tubas have to play lower to make sure the perfect fifth is created with that D and the B flat gets to remain the same. Yeah. So I, I think like what a lot of the people do is, you know, we'll look at like whatever key the piece is in. And then, you know, somebody on staff will usually go through and, and, and do like a chordal analysis of everything. It's like, okay, well, this is a one chord. So, you know, we're going to tune that chord. And then this is a four chord. So now we're going to tune that chord. And then, you know, this is a, a five chord. And we do that. All right. Now this is a minor two and so on and so forth. And you go through every single chord based on the root of that chord and tuning from that with no real reference to the tonic or the, the, the key of the piece right. hypothetically in B flat. And so it ends up creating a lot more work rather than, you know, Hey, you know, when, when I play this note, this is what I do period. End of story. Yeah. Well that when you're looking for stuff in the key of B flat, you will see an E flat major chord and you will lower the G, right? So that tells you that that G should actually be lowered in every context in a B flat major by some little bit amount, which we'll get into later, to create that perfect fifth with the D again. So that's more proof that the G should always be lower in every context in the key of B flat. Right. And I don't know if we're getting ahead of ourselves here, uh, Bob Krusty, but you know maybe it'd be good to go through and have Bob Higgins go through and, and list off in just intonation what each interval is in regards to sense when it's pure. And yeah, and before we get to that in other things you can do, you know, for those people that for the educators out there, at least that use like a harmony, a director or something like that, if you set it on just intonation, you, it's easy to just see what all those intervals are. Other good things would be like tonal energy. It will also kind of tell you where you need to go. But Bob, if you want to sort of maybe talk about some of that. Sure. Let me let me go back to a harmony director for a second. So if you put that on just intonation and you play that G minor chord in the key of B flat, so you have to set it to B flat then the G will be lower. That will be correct. It's just to some ears, especially if it's lowered as much as it's supposed to be, you know, because actually the, the D would be 14 cents lower and the G would be 16. Some people just can't take how low that is. They just think it sounds incorrect. It's like a, you have to kind of get used to listening to music like that and understand its purity and focus on that instead of when the tubas go from B flat to G 16 cents you know, below centered what they're used to, they will just sound so flat. Right. And as we'll get into with BMT, we don't go down that low. We have a, a compromise. Yeah. And the fact we haven't even, we haven't even begun any type of discussion on natural tendencies of, of the instruments either. And so that plays into a lot of That's as another well. whole thing. We, we, we can get to that later too. But, you know, as I teach every just interval is a function of a ratio of the harmonic series pitches numbered one through 16. So if you were to start on the pedal tone and call that number one, and then you go up to the next open note, which would be an octave higher or low C on the treble clef instruments, that would be number two. And you keep going up the open notes and you get, you know, G is three and you get to four C and you get to five is E and that's that flat note, number five. 
Well, all of those intervals, when you take number five and put it with the root, which would be number four right below it, that's actually the ratio of their frequencies, five to four. That would be the purest ratio. And that's the whole point of just intonation is to get these nice integer ratios based on the position of the notes in the harmonic series. So whenever you're trying to figure out a ratio, you just find that interval. So you want a major third. Okay, that's between number five and number four. So that's a five fourths. That's what the interval ratio is. And the difference when you look at equal temperament, we've all learned you have to get it down 14 cents because equal temperament is a little bit higher than five to four. It's, you know, five fourths is one and a fourth, 1.25. Well, with uh, equal temperament, it's 1.26 and some change. And that little extra hundredth, that extra 1% adds up to 14 cents when you, when you do all the math, which is very boring. I don't want to go into all that. But let's say you want to find a major seventh. Hey, how do you tune a major seventh? Well, whatever that is, let's see, where's the major seventh in the harmonic series? Well, you have to go all the way up to number 15 to find the major seventh. And that is a real high B. And you have to put that over the C, which is number eight. The high C is number eight. You go all the way up, open notes, you get to number 15 and you'll have a B natural. Well, that's the major seventh. So whatever that interval ratio is, 15 over eight is the correct ratio and that turns out to be you know very close to another major third so even major sevens have to come down the same amount i think what's also i mean part of the reason way i think about it if i'm playing in b flat major or if i'm playing any major key the third the sixth and the seventh need to come down a little bit absolutely and that's that's a real simple way to think about it so that way when it when we move from major one to minor six, which happens all the time, especially in popular music. Well, mm -hmm. what was the third, I can really easily get into weeds on this. Hopefully I say things correctly, but you now let's say what was the tonic becomes the third. What was the six becomes a tonic and the six is lowered already. And then what was the fifth becomes the third. And like I said, in the weeds. So what happens when you go from that you know, major one to the to minor six, the B flat that was tonic in major one now is the third. Well, that's going to stay the same. But like I said, in a major key, you're going to lower the sixth anyway and lower the third. When you go to a minor chord, now that six and the third in the major is now the root and fifth of the six minor. And that root and fifth now is lowered and leaving the tonic up in relation to the root and fifth of the minor. It's very, it's a little difficult to kind of explain this without anything visual, but I think right. if you, you can uh, picture that in your mind. Okay. Yeah. We basically covered all of that previously. You basically reset it in, in another way, which is okay. So I'm just right, yeah. you, you basically just said all the same stuff we just said. Five I, yeah, I know. I'm trying to make, I'm trying to continue to simplify it. So people. Right. But what I'm trying to get, get at is you, what I'm trying to get at through this conversation is that if you just learn to get the third, sixth and seventh down and trust it, you'll be yep. in great shape. Yeah. That way. That's why you just have to say that to the kids. Mark exactly. your part. 
find these notes of the scale. It's not about harmonic analysis for the kids. It's about for us to recognize here's what key we're in. The, and the kids learn, oh, three, six, and seven go down. Three, six, exactly. And that it's simpler, but it's actually more musical. In some ways, I'm trying to be an apologist already for our system because I know people aren't going to buy it. You know, <laughs> you know. I, I had that thought too, but all they have to do is listen to us, especially over the last couple of years. Yeah. And you know, the, it's pretty clear. Yes. So the use of alternate fingerings within a, a just intonation world, I think because of the fact that the notes are inconsistent and the pitch is adjusted based on each individual chord rather than the key of the music, you know, I think students are often using different fingerings for notes for the same note, depending upon, you know, which part of the chord that it ends up being in. Yeah, this is a, a common thing. Now let's, let's stick with this G minor thing. Let's say the key is G minor, which looks like the same as B flat, but you have to recognize that the tonic is G now. It, so you're not going to lower that. That is the tonic and all the rest of it, because it's a minor key, all the rest of those third, sixth, and sevenths go up by whatever amount you choose. They all have to be much higher. That D, which is normally open and flat in the key of B flat, and it should be, that D will probably be played one and two to compensate because it puts it on the G series of the instrument. So this is, you know, understanding how the instruments are built and understanding what key center you're shooting for will tell you what alternate fingerings to use. So, you know, I, I think we've started to uh, discuss at least some of the potential issues that arise with the the more traditional approach that I think people will take is in the world of just intonation. And then, you know, I think there's definitely a, a number of people out there that just simply try to play everything at zero. And I think that's what some people do because they don't really understand just intonation either. And, or they've just been simply taught of, well, just get the note in tune. And, you know, I think that unfortunately exists. And, and I know at least to our ears, we can hear when issues like that exist. But what other thoughts or issues do you think arise from taking that approach with just intonation? Well, what you mentioned to make everything in zero, that's equal temperament. That's, that's, that's a completely different way of, of tuning. And, and I used to be an equal temperament guy before Bob came on the staff and, and kind of convinced me otherwise. There are some benefits to that. For one thing, we're playing with equal temperament instruments in march band, drum corps, concert band, you know, anything that is a, a keyboard, marimba, xylophone, or synthesizer, at least most are going to be equal temperament instruments. So, I mean, there's some benefits to that. I also think that it's that every student should be able to play every note on their instrument at zero so that when we do ask them to move notes higher or lower with just intonation or with blue coat mean tone that we'll get into later, they can more easily do that. The only drawback is that there is less ring in the chords because you aren't playing closer to the pure intervals. Bob, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, it's just, if every horn line went out there and hit every note at zero, very few people would complain. It's difficult to get 80 brass players to play at zero, let's be real, and to do it on every other note, let alone just open B flat or F with a tuner, whatever you're doing, um, try to 
do that on every note, you know, try to do that, play a B major chord on these B flat instruments sometimes and see how much work it takes. So, but if you could get everybody at zero, even on B major, you'd be thrilled probably. Equal temperament is an absolute requirement for our process to work because we then teach the kids to go plus and minus a certain amount from equal temperament. Right. It's absolutely necessary to be able to put every note at zero so you can describe how far you need to move from there. Right. And, you know, Bob Krusty, uh, you said something about, you know, just play in tune. Well, to me, what in tune normally means is every student who's playing the exact same pitch is playing the exact same pitch. Often, and there's an old quote, I don't know what it's from, where someone asked the orchestra, how, how do you play so well in tune? And the answer was, we don't. We just play out of tune together. If you went and analyzed a lot of really good recordings, you'd probably find that, you know, this particular note is actually pretty far out. It's 20 cents sharp and it shouldn't be, but everyone's listening to each other and nailing 20 cents sharp. So it still sounds good. Nine times out of 10, that's what's happening even in a good recording in, in drum corps. Everyone is through lots of reps, just agreeing to a certain pitch that actually may not be where it's supposed to be in any system, equal temperament, just intonation or blue coat, mean tone. So it's a very relative thing that you just said is, you know, how do you just play in tune? That to me just means matching. The next level is, okay, where exactly do we match? Do we match everything to everything's at zero or do we lower the thirds by 14 cents or do we, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's really kind of the next level. If, if everyone to me, even beyond what Bob Higgins has said, if everyone just matched everyone's pitch from player to player, it would still sound pretty good. There would be a few chords that might feel a little funny, but if everyone is matching their individual pitch from player to player, it would sound pretty nice. Yes, that's the key, is everybody matching and agreeing. And if really everybody did equal temperament, it would still sound very good. But mm -hmm. when you compare that against the people who are playing just a one root third fifth major chord, there's a purity of the just intonation that we've gotten used to. Before we continue our discussion, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor for this episode. Hammond Design is the exclusive mouthpiece manufacturer for the Bluecoats. Carl Hammond is recognized by players all over the world for his commitment to excellence through superior craftsmanship and professionalism. That's why Bluecoats trust Hammond and why we feel you should get the experience of sound in HD. Visit carlhammonddesign.com to get started. That's Carl with a K, hammonddesign.com. So now let's get into our approach here at the Bluecoats, which we call BMT or Bluecoats Mean Tone Temperament. So Bob, can you first tell us a little bit about the how, when, and, and why this approach started at the Bluecoats? Yeah, sure. Um, I have a lot of experience singing Renaissance music, whether that be singing bass or alto. And so I was introduced to just intonation at an early age, you know, compared to other people, probably, you know, coming from equal temperament and, you know, listening to a lot of piano music and listening to some organ music, which some are tuned in equal temperament, some are tuned in all kinds of other temperaments. I just got very interested in how temperaments work. The tradition over the last hundred years of brass is to put everything in just intonation. And most of that music is root third, fifth. So 
that works fine. And that's just all about getting major thirds down, which also implies minor thirds up. However, there's this is an art. Intonation is an art. So, and I've just learned through teaching Doug's music and meeting Derek that there is a compromise in between full just intonation, which can sometimes sound dull and lifeless, though pure, and equal temperament, which gets very shrill and unpleasing. So there's a compromise of art in between, and that's kind of where I've developed Bluecoat's mean tone temperament, because Doug's writing is so colorful, stacked up with all kinds of thirds. You know, there's seven chords, ninth chords, 11, 13. You know, sharp 11 is his favorite sound. It's probably his signature chord. Well, when you play a sharp 11 chord, you really have to focus in on what you're going to do with each interval. And um, you can't always go full just intonation. You can, technically. and But we come up with this compromise where we just move the notes a little bit closer towards just intonation and the color just pops. So it just becomes a more pleasing musical result. Yeah, I, you know, Bob is uh, is being kind to me in a little bit because I was, a, like I said, an equal temperament guy and, and Bob came in preaching just and I was like, hold on a minute. Being someone teaching equal temperament in drum corps, I was kind of a, in the minority, I would say, amongst other drum corps. So I was always a little bit self-conscious as it was. And so I went to Bob Higgins and said, well, you know, we don't teach just intonation. I don't I really prefer the sound of equal temperament. Just sounds too pure, too nice in a way. And especially with all the complex chords that Doug writes, you know, the same thing that Bob just said. And... Bob just went away and thought about that and came up really with this blue coat mean tone that's in a lot of ways halfway in between equal temperament and just intonation. And the result has been, to my ear, something that still you still hear the tempered chords. You still hear the third lowered. It's just not so much to where you still get a little bit of a shimmer to the sound, and especially when you start adding the jazz chords. And I don't know, I think Jacob Collier said once that without equal temperament, I'm not sure if jazz is possible because of the amount of modulation you have to go through. You know, with the way Doug writes, you could either do equal temperament or what we do, it would be very difficult for it to sound believable at pure just. But, you know, a lot of what this came out of a disagreement between Bob Higgins and I, then what Bob Higgins came up with was something to me is just sounds great. And I absolutely love it. And I'm still learning uh, from Bob Higgins every year. And he becomes the guy that I go to. It's like, okay, what are we supposed to do just to make sure I understand this? I'll ask him two or three times before I take it to the kids, because he really is the guru on intonation for us. So, Bob, can you give us an, an explanation or, or maybe an example of what BMT is? Well, it's technically a compromise or a, a mean, an average between just intonation and equal temperament. Now, if we were to take the, the just scale, and as we said earlier, the third, sixth, and seventh scale degrees all come down by a very large amount but we just agree to only lower them eight cents. We just, you know, it's not like I picked it out of the air because there's been a lot of uh, science and research done on what is the, how many amount cent difference can most humans tell? And they've come around five or six cents is when 
people can start telling a difference in a note changing. So eight cents is, is low enough to get closer towards just intonation, but not so low that where the 14 cents would be um, that it's so pure. So it's a, that's why I call it a mean tone, although technically mean tones from, from the Renaissance are based on tempering fifths. We base BMT on tempering equal temperament. So we assume every kid's gonna play every note at zero. And then we say, hey, but we're in this key. So three, six, and seven scale degrees, just lower them by eight cents. If we're in a minor key, raise those three tones of the scale by eight cents. And so that basically happens all the time. All the time in whatever harmonic context, no matter what. Now, if something, if you come up with a, something that doesn't sound right, you have to use your art and your ears and come up with a different compromise. There's all kinds of other rules too, but those two rules will get you there to 90% of what we do at the Blue Coats. Derek, anything to add on that? I'm trying to think, what was the key of Eleanor Rigby? That was G minor, and that was, you know, that's when we really knew BMT was going to work. Or I, exactly, I knew was, yeah. You, you saw the light when we did that. Exactly. As, as G minor, and in that key, you raised the third, sixth, and seventh, which means the third and sixth in G minor is uh, B flat and F, right? No, B flat and E flat, the seventh mm -hmm. is F, which are two decent notes on the horn. So we're going to raise them the entire time. And it was like, we sure want to try it. And we did it. And what was cool, and it's kind of the opposite of the boxer, which goes from, it feels like B flat major, but it ends in G minor. This is the other way around where we're starting in the minor and going up to the relative major for the big chorus of, oh, oh look at all the lonely people. That section's major. It goes down to the sixth E flat. Oh, sorry. It goes down. Not to the relative, it goes down to the major six, right? Yep. You know, so in minor, in G minor, you're raising the third and the sixth, which is B flat and E flat, which becomes the root and the fifth when it goes to the chorus. And, you know, the kids got it. You know, it's it's not too hard for tubas to play an E flat a little sharp. The toughest part was really getting the B flats to be a slightly high and for those B flats to feel different than the B flat they play a lot during the warm up. But it didn't take long. And what was cool is that the concert G did not have to move when you went to the major sixth. Let's see if I can sing it. Now that's the major third of a of the E flat. You, you can't imagine the Beatles are going to think, oh, I've got to lower that A now. Oh, that's crazy. No one would ever do that in real music, but yet a traditional drum corps would. Blue Coast had decided not to be that kind of traditional stock drum corps. Now we're going to E flat major. Let's lower the G or the A's in the trumpets, which is hard anyway. Uh, let's keep the A's where they are in the trumpets and raise the F's and C's. Talking treble clef now. And it, it, what it does to me, what Blue Coat Mean Tone does to me, for me, as well as not changing the temperaments in regards to what's in the bass, but what's more in the key center, is it also makes our music sound more modal. Correct. And 
so much of what we play at the Blue Coats are either popular music or jazz, which tends to be more modal. So what potential downfalls do either of you see to taking this approach? The downfall is that it is kind of new ground and it takes a while to convince every educator on the staff. Um, I was a bit scared to do this podcast because what if judges are going to listen to this and they don't buy it and they say, no, you should use just intonation and not this, whatever this BMT stuff. That's kind of the only downfall. To me, it's easier. It makes more sense and it sounds better. So there isn't really any downfall for me from a pure education standpoint. It's more in a personal relationship and competitive standpoint that it might be some very minor downfall. What do you think, Bob? Yeah, I think the the only downfall is it puts more pressure on the educator because now the harmonic analysis goes beyond circling every major third, right? So it goes way beyond that. You have to, if the, if you're playing music that is, has a lot of diminished chords in it, you know, was that the 18 year we had all those double right. diminished chords? That's yep. equal temperament. Yeah. You know, you have to stack that. If you're ever splitting the octave equally, you know, a, a diminished chord splits all the minor thirds, right? And if you're going to play augmented chords, you're splitting the octave evenly, all major thirds. You have to use equal temperament. So I think the only downfall is it puts a little more pressure on the educator to to do harmonic analysis. That, that's really it. Yeah, that was in 18 was even more of a challenge because the first three minutes of our show, we played an equal temperament because we didn't have any major or minor chords. Everything was based off of the octatonic scale or the whole half diminished scale, whichever one you want to call it. It's the same thing. Right. And then we spent, you know, then all of a sudden we go to Cero and we're playing an E flat major most of the time or in B flat major. And then we actually ended up for one chord, just going to pure just, all right, you guys are all on open parcels. Just blow those right in the center, which means that, that uh, concert D is going to be a nice, perfect 14 cents flat. So we, we actually did three different temperaments in 18. You know, as we, we kind of explain that our approach, what are your thoughts on, you know, your, your average high school marching band? Do you think this is something that could be implemented in, in that genre? Yeah, because the, it's actually pretty simple and especially younger players who are playing the simpler music. So actually the younger, the better, because you get them to listen more you know, closely to stuff. So if you come up with this rule that you say, Hey, just play your third, sixth, seventh scale degrees. Oh, those are this. That means you have to teach them what they are, right? They have to learn what a major scale is. They have to understand what three, six and seven are. And you can kind of just teach it, you know, just, play a little lower you know you don't even have to you know you know go with, with the tuner eight cents match this now you do have to, to get them all to match together I, I understand that but the whole point is to just get them thinking about if these scale degrees in a major key are lower we're going to sound a lot better faster and then the kid starts to hear it because honestly the kids want to hear pure intervals humans want to hear pure intervals they want to get rid of the beats so sometimes the kids start drifting further from eight cents. It was one of my experiences, especially this past summer, is they'd start drifting away. And you know, Derek is right on it. He's like, that's too low. They can't help themselves. It's okay. You know, so it's interesting how it teaches them a bridge to just intonation. So kids that already know just intonation get all excited about it because it's a new thing and it sounds cool, especially with jazz music and the way Doug writes with the colors, because that's another thing we could get into. 
the way he writes for these specific instruments and using baritones, euphoniums, trombones, all the different colors of instruments that he's so fond of. That's another factor that we can't even get into yet. But when you put all that together and just temper things a little bit, you know, younger people will get excited about the different color and sound that they can make. Does the key of the piece have anything to do with this approach or is it you just take the same approach no matter what key you're in? It's literally the same approach. It's major or minor harmony. That's it. Now, then it just becomes how chromatic is the rest of the stuff. And that's when it gets super chromatic, then we start going towards the equal temperament, right? So if you really have a very chromatic show, then some of this will break down and you'll just be defaulting to equal temperament through all the passages that are either fast moving or stacked up. So, so many notes that it's just like playing all of the notes on the piano. You know, that's kind of, you get into equal temperament, but the point is it doesn't matter the key. If it's a major key, you do this with three, six, and seven, get everything down. If it's a minor key, you do this, get everything up by default. And everybody does that and you work through it. Wow, that sounds cool. That sounds cool. Oh, that one didn't quite work. Let's look at that chord a little closer and see what we might have to do something differently. I've used some of this approach with some drum corps, with a drum corps in Europe, the company that is, well, they, they placed 30th a few years ago at prelims when they came over to America. So definitely not in the same competitive neighborhood as the Blue Coats. And I only use it on big impacts, just a few moments, and they get it. It works. And the, you know, the difference between the Blue Coats and some of our competitors when the company went from a B-flat major chord to a G-flat major chord, that major sixth, other people would keep the G-flat at zero and lower the B-flat, the common tone. Well, we they had exact two same chords at the company. And what I told them was when you go to the G-flat, you play that G-flat a little high. Yeah, normally that G-flat is a little bit sharp anyway. Yeah, and then B-flats don't say anything to you. You just play the same note twice. You don't have to lower it now. Now we're going to keep it the same. And it just it sounded great. And all the, all the kids there who most of them aren't trained in a traditional music education setting, Europe doesn't have nearly the, the, the uh, same amount of, uh, you know, band participation at the schools, et cetera. But the, um, all those kids get here and go, that sounds awesome. And always using the same kind of BMT techniques that we, that Bob Higgins taught me. And you don't, you just kind of pick and choose that, you know, for the, I would say for a younger band, a few kind of key moments here and there, the start, everything else, you know, start at EQ, start at equal temperament. Well, do either of you have anything else that you would like to add on this topic today? Like, like I say in this, I'm editorializing again, in my cheat sheet here, you know, it's important to note, well, we've kind of already said this, that most members of championship level drum corps have been taught to get their major thirds down. So they have an idea of what to listen for already. By insisting they don't go down that far, it opens up an entirely new way of listening. It still rings, but there's a slight shimmer. The proof comes, you know, when they play Doug's music for the first time with all of its harmonic complexity and they hear everything stack up with amazing color and shimmer, they, that's when they say, oh, yeah, this makes sense. Yeah. You know, I think another thing, I, I know Bob Higgins has already said it once, but 
I think it's worth saying again is that, you know, music is an art form. It's not a science. You know, we aren't robots. So I think it's a good idea for every ensemble to pick what you think artistically sounds the best and not just go by a certain formula. That's how we got to this way of tuning is by really discussing what we think sounds the best playing the kind of music that we play. It's been a, uh, again, I feel like I'm, I'm being an apologist to the judging community out there. Maybe some people who have grown up on just intonation and by golly, it's only just intonation and that's it. Anything else is, is a sacrilege to talk about. Maybe I'm a, being a bit of an apologist to that crowd, but I think it's important to say that what we've done at the Bluecoats is an artful choice. Well done. I agree. Well, thank you both for taking the time today to explain a little more about this part of the Blue Coats Brass Technique Program. And that will go ahead and wrap it up for this episode. We'll continue to discuss our thoughts on brass pedagogy and exercises we use with the Blue Coats Brass in future episodes. So be sure to check back every other Monday for a new episode, or you can just subscribe to the Blue Coats Brass Podcast through whichever platform you're currently listening to. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Blue Coats Brass Podcast. Please tell your friends about our podcast and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. If you have any topics you'd like to suggest or questions for us to answer in future episodes, please email us at brasspodcast at bluecoats.com. You can catch us on Instagram at bluecoats or at bluebrass, spelled B-L-O-O brass. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at the handle bluecoats. To learn more about the Bluecoats organization and all of its offerings, visit us on the web at bluecoats.com. Our podcast is made possible in part from the support of Hammond Design, the official mouthpiece designer and manufacturer of the Bluecoats Drum and Bugle Corps. As a performance partner of the Bluecoats, we trust HD with our sound, and we think you should too. Learn more at carlhammonddesign.com to get started. That's Carl with a K, HammondDesign.com.